The reading this morning is from Joshua 3, verses 1 through 17. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officer went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out, set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Please have a seat, and as you go to your seat, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read an ancient story like this and know that it has something for us because your word is living and active. The word has been made flesh in Jesus Christ. And so it's him we proclaim. It's him that we desire to see more beautifully today than we did before we came in. So Spirit, I pray that you would do the work to take my feeble words and transform hearts as we unpack this portion of your holy word. And we are grateful that 
uh, we can gather unto you, that we are set apart for you and for your glory. So be with us today, we ask in Christ's name, amen. One of the favorite things that uh, the family and, and I have been able to do over the years is uh, attend family camp at Lady Lodge. Uh, how many of you have been to Lady Lodge before or even know what I'm talking about? And maybe, uh, maybe a couple of you. Uh, Lady Lodge is in the hill country. It's a, it's a camp, uh, but they also do uh, family camps uh, at least a few times during the summer. And we had an opportunity a couple of times as a family to drive down to the hill country. It's in the town of Lakey, which is very near Kerrville, if you're familiar with that part of Texas. Uh, and what's really interesting about uh, getting to Lady Lodge is that you have, to, uh, you have to drive through a river. Now, notice I didn't say you have to drive across a river. You actually drive in the river in order to get to family camp. In fact, there is no other way to get to family camp unless you drive through the river. Now, obviously, if you're driving through a river, uh, you can imagine that the water is not all that high in this river, and you would be correct. In fact, outside of a flood, uh, the water is low enough that most cars can drive safely over a bumpy, rocky bottom, but safely up to camp. It's about two miles of driving in the river. Now, as you drive through the river down there, you look to your, your right, and there's huge cliffs, and you look to your left, and there's uh, a huge hill, and you can just feel how small you are, and you realize that if a floodwaters were to come at that moment that you're driving through the water, you would, you would not survive. But apart from the natural occurrence of flooding, the natural occurrence of upstream rainfall, you are safe driving through this river. It's the Frio River down in South Texas. Now, our passage today has dry passage, right? We just heard that as Sawyer read it. Uh, we, we do see a dry riverbed, uh, but it, it did not become dry by anything natural. The, the dry passage that we just read about was altogether supernatural. That's the only way that what happened in the Jordan River back then can be explained. And Joshua, I think, says it best in verse 5 when he says, God will do wonders among you. As the people are preparing to cross the Jordan River, God will do an incredible work. He will do wonders among them. As we uh, continue in our series in Joshua, uh, we are constantly seeing that God is loyal to his word. In fact, that's what we've titled the series. If you were actually wanting to read through the book of Joshua and find one verse that probably summarizes the entire book really well, I might choose Joshua 21, verse 45, which says this, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. All. All came to pass. The promise of giving his people the promised land had come to pass. In this passage, all Israel have come to pass. They've come to pass over this Jordan River. Finally, this moment in their history that they've been singing about for, for ages and that they've been thinking about for years has come to cross over the Jordan River. 
So just to catch you up, uh, this is week four in our series in Joshua. So if you haven't been with us, what's happened so far is that we've seen Joshua be raised up. He's been commissioned by God to be the new leader of Israel after Moses' death. And so he is charged to lead the people of God into the promised land. The people are unified. Uh, they are all, uh, all 12 tribes are on board, desirous to follow everything that Joshua commands. They have said that they will obey everything that Joshua is telling them, and they are ready. They are ready. Last week, we, we uh, looked at Joshua 2, which uh, was a spy mission, if you remember. Uh, two spies sent into Jericho. We read that a Canaanite prostitute named Rahab comes to faith, which is a sign that uh, God's mercy has come to the nations. And now, starting in chapter 3, it's finally time for this incredible moment in history when the people of God finally enter the promised land. Now, I uh, mentioned this last week. We, we, if we were writing this story, probably would not write it this way uh, because we're just not that great at writing these types of stories. God is the author of our stories, and we would not write our stories the way that he does. And so there is, uh, in many ways, uh, looking at chapters 3 and 4, this story just slows way down. The story slows way down. And so we're going to look at chapter 3 today. Next week, we will look at chapter 4, but they're both telling the same story of the people crossing over the Jordan. Why, do, why does the story slow down here? Well, I think one of the things out of the many that are possible that God wants to do in our hearts as we consider Joshua chapter 3 is to show us that our hearts and minds need to be focused on this miracle that God is bringing Israel. We want to slow down and take in the story and take in his majesty and his glory. And the majority of chapter 3 today is actually dealing with the preparation of the people. And so again, we, we wouldn't have written the story this way likely. We just want to get to it, right? We just, man, cross that river. You've been waiting so long. Why don't you just go? Just go cross that river. But instead, we, we have verse after verse of preparation, of waiting, of stilling our hearts before crossing the river. And so we see the the preparation that God's people has here in Joshua chapter 3, and then we see their participation with God as they cross over the river. And so those are the two uh, big points that we're going to make today. If you're taking notes, uh, we always have our handout that you can pick up in the back, but uh, the main idea is always on there, and so, so thankful that we can provide that as a resource for you. But here is the main idea if you are taking notes. God's presence leads to preparation for and participation in his wonders. God's presence leads to preparation for and participation in his wonders. The preparation to cross over is building the suspense and drama in the story. Again, uh, we are seemingly wasting time, but actually I think we're going to see that we are not wasting time as we see this buildup to them actually crossing the Jordan River. When we're reading the Bible, we should always ask at least a couple of questions. One, what, what does this passage say about God? And then number two, what does it say about us? 
What does it say about God? What does it say about us? One thing I'd argue that Joshua chapter 3 says about God is that he is holy. He is almighty. He's sovereign and glorious. And you do not enter his presence without preparing your heart in some way. You cannot, you cannot just flippantly and casually uh, enter into the presence of God without some type of preparation in your heart. So we are people that were created to worship God, but because of the fall and because of sin, that's been marred. But in his grace, God has provided a way for us to draw near to him again. And in this passage, uh, what we see and how we see that manifested so often in the Old Testament, this is true at this time, is the ark. If you were paying attention, Sawyer said that word over and over again as she read Joshua 3. The main character of Joshua chapter 3 is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what what is the Ark? The Ark itself uh, was a fairly small wooden chest overlaid in gold. Uh, So this would have been familiar to the Israelites. This was uh, in the tabernacle, in the most holy place, in the most central part of the tabernacle. Uh, And only the high priest was able to be in its presence. But here, as they are on the move out of the wilderness and into the promised land, we see that the priests are commanded to take up the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark represents the very presence of God. So when you see the Ark of the Covenant, this is God. This is God leading his people across the river. He will lead them to where they're going. And again, it's not until the the last few verses of chapter 3 that we see this actually happening, that we see the people moving across the Jordan River. But until the last few verses of chapter 3, we see the preparation. Israel is first called to prepare for God's wonders by doing several things. They, they are, they are uh, commanded to do several things. And so I want to take a look at those things here in just a few minutes because I really do think they have great importance for us as the people of God here in 2023. But before we get to the preparation, I want to read again the very last portion of this chapter beginning in verse 14. The people have prepared and now participate in the miracle of God moving them through the Jordan onto dry ground. So again, it says this beginning in verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped on the brink of the water, Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. We'll stop there. Do you feel it? This buildup, like this moment has finally arrived, and we get a parenthetical statement here in verse 15. Like, oh, I just want to go. Like, I just want to go. The river was not a little trickle. It wasn't like the Frio trying to drive to Lady Lodge family camp. This was more than likely at this time of year a mile across, and it wasn't a trickle. It was a torrent. It was moving fast. It was not a gentle stream, but it was very daunting. So you can imagine what in the world is going through their minds as they approach this type of river. And it wasn't just the water in the river that was scary. It was also what was happening underneath the water that you couldn't even see. Uh, the Jordan River is, uh, is, is a lot of tangled brush in the bottom. It, it almost has this jungle overgrowth underneath. So it wasn't just the water. is what you're going to get caught up in as you try to cross this river. 
Let's keep reading in verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a very in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. What a sight. What a miracle. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The time had come. The people have passed into the promised land. And so uh, you, as you read the story, as you listen to the story, no doubt recall a different story of people of God walking through parted waters. This is a new exodus. This is a, a different installment of the exodus story for the people of God as they had already uh, seen their relatives, their fathers and aunts and uncles come out of the Red Sea. The Red Sea, just like the Jordan River, waters that were a place of death, the waters representing death and chaos and judgment. But for God's chosen ones, he provides a path out of death and into life. This is also a picture of people passing from being exiles into finally being home. This is a picture of people wandering in the wilderness, but moving from wandering into resting. There's so much that's going on in this moment in redemptive history but one thing we can say for sure is that the Jordan River was a place of judgment, but a place of judgment has become a place of salvation. The people of God have been waiting for this moment for years. As I mentioned, they, they, they sung about it in worship. Uh, there were songs written to Yahweh from the time of the Red Sea crossing to now. God's promises never fail. Here they are. They've sung it for years. And the day has come. There are two points of application from this passage that I have for us this morning. Again, you can see that on the handout if you have that. Here's the first one. We prepare for God's wonders by believing him. We prepare for God's wonders by believing him. The second point is that we participate in God's wonders by beholding him. Believing him and beholding him. We prepare and then we move out and participate as the people of God show us here in this chapter. Now, what I want to do here for the next few minutes is get uh, pretty specific with us, with you, about how do we as the people of God here in 2023, how do we prepare for his wonders by believing him? What does that look like for us? We see that here in the text, what it looks like for the Israelites I would argue that for us, for the church, we prepare, our preparation uh, is in two different ways. As we live a life of preparation, it happens in two ways. The first one is that we prepare for God's wonders as we consider that our entire life is one big preparation. So for you, believer, your entire life is preparing you to pass over into the new heavens and new earth on that day. We sang about it earlier. When we see him with our own eyes, when we see the Ancient of Days face to face, our whole life, we are preparing for that crossing. The second way that we prepare for the participation in God's wonders is the weekend and week out rhythms, preparing to gather here on Sunday mornings, 
what is happening each week as we are called into worship, when Andrew called us into worship by reading God's call to us to worship him, is that we are in, in just very incredible ways crossing over into a new land. Now, it may not feel like that this morning. You've been here several times. Most of you have. Uh, so you've been in this room. Uh, maybe this is just part of your routine every Sunday to sit in this room at the Texas Girls Choir, but what you're actually experiencing is that you are coming out of the wilderness that is Monday through Saturday in your life, and you are coming and gathering as God's people. You're crossing a river into the gathering of God's people with the Holy Spirit, moving in powerful ways here on a Sunday. And I wonder if we've ever thought about coming to church that way. Have we ever thought of the river, so to speak, that we are crossing when we walk through these doors and are called to worship on a Sunday. Because we are going to be sent back out at the end of our service. We are sent back out into the world and we are going to spend the next six days preparing for next Sunday. This is the weekend and week out rhythm of God's people. That we are in some ways in the wilderness Monday through Saturday and then called into his presence on Sunday as we gather. We'll do that on repeat. This is... This is the preparation of God's people week in and week out. We will do that until one day he calls us into a heavenly worship service that will never break and have no end. But until then, we prepare by coming and gathering on a Sunday. For now, we prepare for his wonders by believing him in some very specific ways. I think the text is going to show us this. Uh, and so what I want to do, you see five blanks there on this handout. There are five ways that I uh, see from this text that the people of God uh, can prepare uh, to participate in his wonders. And here's number one, slow down. How do we prepare? How do we prepare in our hearts on a Sunday? Or how do we prepare in our hearts Monday through Saturday? Slow down. Look at, look at verse 1. Uh, Joshua takes the people from this town of Shittim, uh, and then he brings them out to the edge of the Jordan. Now, Shittim was probably about five miles away from the banks of the Jordan River. You could, you could walk there in a few hours. Uh, but what, what Joshua is doing is calling the people to lodge there for three days. Again, we want them to, we want them to cross the river. Let's go. But Joshua is saying, no, no, no. Three days, we're going to camp here, we're going to lodge here, we're going to slow down. You can imagine this gave the people plenty of time for pondering, for reflecting, for the anticipation of what's to come. Again, this was the generation who saw their parents and their aunts and uncles die in the wilderness. They've seen hard things. But they've also carried hopeful things in their heart. They've carried the comfort of God that he would bring them into this wonderful land. But before that glorious day, before they get to the promised land, there was time to set apart here to still their heart. And so my question for us is, how do we slow down? How do we slow down during the week? What does this look like for us? Maybe it's, maybe it's putting down your phone. That, that could be part of slowing down in 2023. Maybe it's saying no to things if necessary. One of, the, one of the main ways that I believe that Satan loves to tempt God's people is through the tyranny of the urgent. 
I probably don't even have to tell you that. You feel that uh, in your daily life, that there's always something pulling for your attention. And, and maybe you're like me, you're a person that tends to say yes to everything, and then before you know it, you just feel like you're out of control. It's a tyranny of the urgent. How do we slow down? A lot of us wear this busyness with pride. Uh, we, we wear it as a badge of honor. But I would, I would argue that slowing down, having quiet, slow time during the week to sit with God and ponder and reflect and even anticipate worship, even to anticipate this moment each week is something that he is calling us to do. And so do we do that? We take the opportunity to slow down in the midst of all that is going around us. Yes, there's work to do. This is not a call for laziness. Yes, there are families to raise and friends to, to hang out with, but are we taking the time each day to just sit, slow down? Number one is slow down. Number two is zoom out. Look at verse four. The, the people, as we uh, read, are, are told to keep a distance from the ark. Now, 2,000 cubits is about... 3,000 feet, so about uh, half a mile or so. So the people were to make sure that the ark was pretty far out in front of them. Now, the, the holiness of God, as we talked about, is not something to be trifled with. And often, as we've read about the ark in the Old Testament, that is the reason God has told his people, stay away from it, because it's holy and you are not. And there's only a prescribed way that you can be in the presence of God. But look at the reason that Joshua gives here in verse 4. It's that so that you may know the way you shall go. The main reason for the distance from the ark in this passage is so that the people know where to go. So that they can see where he is leading them to. The Israelites needed to zoom out physically in order to see where God is leading them. Zoom out. Last Monday, I was in... Uh, a place of great anxiety and worry. I was frantic. Uh, I both had the, the tyranny of the urgent, as we were talking about, and, and worry going through my, my heart and mind. And uh, finally, Molly, that evening, in the most gracious way possible, said, you need to zoom out. You need to stop and zoom out. As usual, she's right. I did. I need to zoom out. A lot of us need to spend the week zooming out to see where God is in the midst of our problems and suffering. Where is he? We have to have our eyes on him. Is he leading us out ahead of us? Some of your lives this morning are in uncharted territory, and you need to fix your eyes on him, because like he says in this passage, you have not passed this way before. Some of you are in the midst of, of unprecedented trial, some of you have been walking through something over the past day, week, month that you've never experienced before. This is new territory. You have not passed this way before, but God will show you the way. And one thing we know for sure is that you're in the right place today. Now, he has led you here this morning. And he will always lead you back to his presence, to the gathering, to worship him he has led you here. Zoom out and believe he is in control. Number three, be set apart. 
be set apart. Joshua tells Israel in verse 5, consecrate yourself. That word consecrate means to be set apart as holy people. In their context, what likely this meant for the people of Israel at that time when they were told, consecrate yourself, what they likely did was wash their clothes, probably wash them in the Jordan. This was a ritual. This was ceremonial, the washing of their clothes. They probably abstained from sexual relations at this time as well. This is a way for them to set themselves apart. It was, it was the preparing, the ritual of preparing to be in the presence of God. How do we consecrate ourselves unto the Lord in 2023? What does that look like for us? Well, we are no longer bound by the ceremonial law, by the rituals that we see here in the Old Testament, uh, but we are called to live as set-apart saints in this world. So the question is, how are we called to do that? Well, this is where things like prayer and fasting and Bible reading and scripture memorization come in as disciplines. This is a way that we draw closer to God, and this is a way that we are set apart from the rest of the world. We'll, we'll be fasting tomorrow, by the way, as a body at City Church. Hopefully, you've been tracking with us in that, that this year we want to have the rhythm of the last Monday of every month to fast as a body. That's a one way that we set ourselves apart. Why would we do that? Because we want to remember that even in the good things that God has given us, the good gifts, like food, we can sacrifice for a period of time for the better thing, which is Him. So in your fasting tomorrow, you are consecrating yourself before the Lord. We're also memorizing 1 Peter chapter 2 as a body. This again is an expression that we have as God's people to be nourished by His Word, to to long for His Word, to store it in our heart. That's one way that we are set apart unto the Lord. But we, we should remember that everybody in our life is consecrated to something or someone. Everybody in our life, non-believer or not, is going to set themselves apart for something. It might be YouTube or Twitter. Instead of washing yourself in the Word, you might only bathe in waters of science and reason, but you will consecrate your life to someone or something. The people of God are to set our lives apart, to set our, our whole lives apart for Him. We are also set apart in the way that we walk in confession and repentance and as we forgive one another with supernatural forgiveness. This is exactly what Chris was telling us as we read through and prayed through Luke 17. What's a mark of being consecrated unto the Lord? What's a mark of being a people set apart? Supernatural love and supernatural forgiveness. No one else does that. No one else is able to do that apart from Christ. We love God and love others as we fulfill the royal law. So all of these, all of these things are preparing our hearts for more of Him to be set apart. We do that Monday through Saturday, and we, we do that here. It's part of how and why we structure our services the way that we do that we read God's Word, that we pray, that we sing God's Word, that we will see and eat God's Word. You're listening to God's Word right now. We are set apart people. Number four, we set under the Word. It's very closely related to number three, but notice that in verse nine, 
Joshua says to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of, your, of the Lord your God. We are people of the word. Elders preach the word of God and all of us are shaped by the word as it is proclaimed, as it read, as it's preached, as it's taught. We are spiritually formed by the ministry of God's word. The Bible speaks with authority to all of life's problems and experiences. It's, now, it's not a manual. It's not like an encyclopedia where you look up the problem you're experiencing right now and flip to a page in the Bible and you'll find it there. But the Bible speaks to every problem, every suffering, every circumstance in your life. The Word of God is powerful. So the way we prepare our hearts is to sit under it, is to sit under its authority. To your... You're sitting here for about 35, 40 minutes listening to a sermon this morning, but it's not just for your edification in this time. Uh, you hearing this sermon, you hearing the preached word of God is not just for uh, you to feel better about yourself or to be challenged by yourself right now. It's for you to carry into the week ahead. We are people of the word and that God's word has authority over all of our life. It's a living and active word. It's Jesus the Word made flesh. So we take it, we treasure it, we store it in our heart, and we're sent out with it. We are people of the Word. Number five, we expect His power. We expect His power. We believe God will move in incredible ways in our lives and in the world. In verse 10, uh, Joshua talks about the living God, the Lord of all the earth will drive out all the enemies of God's people. The names that Sawyer read in verse 10 are all the inhabitants currently in the land of Canaan, and they will be defeated. They will be defeated. God is assuring them, just as he did in the Red Sea when the Egyptians were destroyed in the waters. And for us, we live a life in a world that's daunting. We live a life with enemies. We live a life with dangers. We live a life that we are tempted to fear and despair as we look at the culture around us. That's, that's one thing that we are tempted to do is to fear. We also look at our own lives. We, all, we look at our own lives and once again we have sinned in the same way that we sinned the day before, the week before, the month before. We are tired of sinning the same way over and over again. But God has reminded us in Jesus Christ that he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He is building his church. As you prepare your heart, do you remember the power of God? Do you know his power? Christ has defeated sin. He's defeated, believer, the sin that you're struggling with. He's defeated that sin. He's defeated death. He is sanctifying us. He has overcome the world and he will be glorified in all the nations. We prepare for God's wonders by believing him and in his glorious power. So we prepare for God's wonders by believing him. And then the second part of our application is that we participate in God's wonders by beholding him. We keep our eyes on God as we step out in faith. So we read in this passage that the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant dipped their feet into this torrent of flowing water. 
Again, this is, not, this is not a little stream or a little creek that you find in your backyard. This is the mighty Jordan River at this time of year where the water is a torrent. And so the people, as they watch the priests dip their feet into this flowing water, are keeping their eyes on God. They're keeping their eyes on the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is leading them to step out in faith. They're stepping forward. Now, the Jordan River, uh, is. this is not the last time, it's not the first time or the last time that we will see and read about the Jordan River in Scripture. Uh, it's going to continue to play a prominent role in the story of Israel, in the story of God's people. This is not the last time that the Jordan will be crossed over. Back and forth, we'll see various of uh, God's people crossing the Jordan River. But the next time that we see God in the Jordan River is in the New Testament at the start of the Gospels. We see Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan River at the start of his ministry. And again, the Jordan River represents judgment. The Jordan River is a place of judgment and death, but once again, we see it as a place of salvation as Jesus is baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and the voice of the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. It happened in the Jordan. Friends, none of us deserve dry passage. Do you realize that? None of us deserve it. These people that we're reading about in Joshua 3 did not deserve dry passage. We are going to see, sadly, as we continue reading Scripture, as we read through the book of Joshua and then the book of Judges, that these people will eventually end up in wickedness in the promised land. They got to the land, and then they disobeyed. They started following after and worshiping the gods of the land. God had every right in this moment, knowing that that was going to happen. God had every right with that heap of water to send it rushing down across these people and wipe them out. He had every right to do that. But God keeps his promises. And so God himself has crossed over to save his people. So we see Jesus baptized in the Jordan River at the start of his ministry. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, what do we see? We see that he would be plunged deep into the waters of judgment on the cross. We see there he was baptized into death itself. Plunged into death, but then three days emerging to resurrected life. Believers, we are baptized into Christ's death and then raised with him to new life. That's what we read in the New Testament. That is our participation. That is our ongoing participation as God's people, that we are uh, buried with Christ and raised with Christ. On the cross, deeper and more hellish than the Jordan were the rivers of judgment that overwhelmed our Messiah. But for us found in him, Rivers will not overwhelm us. We're found safe in him. The rivers will not overwhelm you. 
we're safe in Christ. So we read this story and we think, what could be more incredible than the nation of Israel seeing this heap of water in the Jordan cross over on a dry riverbed with the Ark of the Covenant leading the way? What could be more magnificent than this? Behold the man upon the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, plunging into the depths in our place in order to bring us into new life in the promised land. That's something to behold. Would we have loved to have been there in the, uh, in the Old Testament to see this? Of course we would. What an incredible miracle. But I'd choose the cross. I'd choose the cross. Where we believe and behold your God. As we prepare and participate in his wonder, he is with us. He is leading the way even when our circumstances seem impossible. When it seems that the river is just too dangerous to even dip our toe in, he has kept his promise to give us a glorious inheritance. His promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And unbelievers, uh, unbelievers know this. Even if they're not able to put words to it, there's a longing in all of our hearts. And so there's a longing in the unbeliever's heart that this is what they were made for. They were made for something bigger than themselves. And it's exactly like Andrew read from Augustine at the top in the beginning of our service, that their hearts and our hearts are restless, trying to find rest. And they will not find it until they find it in Jesus Christ. As we close this morning, I I think it would be helpful to be reminded that as we prepare week in and week out to be here amongst God's people and the miracle that is happening even in this moment, that the Spirit is with His people in the most powerful way, I think it would actually serve our hearts well to remember that Jesus right now is also preparing. We're preparing as a people of God. Jesus is preparing as our Savior. So I want to close by reading the words of Jesus in John 14, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where, you, where I am, you also will be. And you know the way to where I am going. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. So Father, we are grateful that you will come again. That we've seen you cross over the Jordan River. We've seen you bring your people safely on dry land into the promised land. And yet we know that this story in the Old Testament, the story that Joshua is a part of, is only a shadow of what truly happens when you have brought your people into eternal rest and an eternal promised land, a new Canaan, a new heavens, a new earth. And so we are a people that right now are preparing for that day. We're a people that are preparing with our entire lives, and we are a people that are preparing week in and week out to be with you 
on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, as we remember this miracle that you performed on the cross, where you were plunged into the depths of death, but death did not hold you down. That we celebrate that you've been risen to new life, and, and your people united to you have died with you and have been raised with you. Hallelujah. And so help us as we continue in this world where there, as we are sent out later this morning into a Monday through Saturday wilderness where there is temptation, where there is unforgiveness, where there's burdens and sufferings and the world that is telling us that all this is just a lie. Will you preserve your people? Will you help us? Will you allow us to slow down to zoom out, to set ourselves apart, to understand the authority of your good word and to know the power that it has in our lives. Thank you that you are doing this work. And we love you. We're so grateful that we come to you and you hear us and we ask all of this in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.